My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode, drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, this is Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 23rd episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that may have an impact on psychological and spiritual functioning more than any other topic in the 21st century, yet often flies under the radar of awareness, so to speak. The topic for today is internet addiction, or problematic internet use, whether through tablets, smartphones, or home computers. We might shop online or listen to music online or engage in other activities online such as social media or maybe even view movies or other images, pictures. In doing so, we're staring at pixels for a good portion of the day and this is now considered the norm, not even questioned for most of the Western world. But today I'd like to question, is staring at a computer screen optimal Christian living for 21st century Christ followers? And what might be an alternative? So to get us started today, I think a few questions are important to consider. What are the ways in which we use the internet in the 21st century? Which ways are most popular and why? What are the most popular mediums through which we access and interact on the internet? such as smartphones or tablets, home computers? How much time do we spend on the internet? How does internet use impact individual and interpersonal functioning across the various domains of life, including family life, work life, community life, church life, and so forth? When does the internet become a problem? And in the, pro, uh, the problematic range, is internet, internet addiction a real thing, like addictions to alcohol and drugs? What percentage of the U.S. population struggles with internet addiction? Do people experience tolerance and withdrawal and impaired functioning with internet addiction, similar to drugs and alcohol? What does the secular clinical psychology literature have to say about the topic of internet addiction? including whether it's a real diagnosis. What are some of the secular theories in clinical psychology that help to explain our addiction and over-reliance on the internet? What are some of the interventions in secular clinical psychology for helping with internet addiction? 
Turning to scripture, what does the Bible say, if anything, on the topic of addiction? Given there is no mention, for obvious reasons, of internet use in the Bible, how might 21st century Christ followers make sense of internet addiction, including its impact on relational, spiritual, and social functioning, our relationships with God and others? And what are some of the ways we can draw from insights from classic Christian spiritual writings on the use of the internet in order to pivot from internet addiction or maybe just overly using the internet to more authentic Christian living with God and others? So really, ultimately, how can we discern what God's will is for 21st century Christ followers, given so much time is spent staring at pixels on a computer screen? whether through a smartphone or tablet or other contemporary device that seemingly makes life easier, but can rob us of being fully present in the here and now and having an unmediated experience of direct contact with God and his creation. So before turning to a short story, then a secular understanding of internet addiction from the psychology literature, I'd like to offer a few opening quotes. On the topic of technology more broadly, but also internet more narrowly, the psychologist Sherry Turkle says, quote, we expect more from technology and less from each other. We create technology to provide the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. She goes on to state, these days when people are alone or feel a moment of boredom, they tend to reach for a device. In a movie theater, at a stop sign, at the checkout line, at the supermarket, and yes, at a memorial service. Reaching for a device becomes so natural that we start to forget that there is a reason, a good reason, to sit still with our thoughts. It does honor to what we are thinking about. It does honor to ourselves. To offer one more quote from Sherry Turkle, quote, human relationships are rich and they're messy and they're demanding and we clean them up with technology. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want to be. We get to edit and that means we get to delete and that means we get to retouch the face, the voice, the flesh, the body, not too little, not too much, just right. Although the Bible, of course, does not mention internet addiction per se, since the beginning of time, humans have been addicted to things. Thus, the Bible speaks to our struggles with clinging to things other than God. In Matthew 26, 41, we read, quote, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. In 1 John 2.16, we read, quote, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. In 1 Thessalonians 5.6-8, we learn, quote, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. In 1 Corinthians, we see, quote, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it, end quote. 
The late Christian writer Andrew Murray says, quote, When we pray for the Spirit's help, we will simply fall down at the Lord's feet in our weakness. There we will find the victory and power that comes from his love. The American pastor Tim Keller is quoted as saying, quote, You know you're an addict when you're trying to escape your distress with the very thing that brought you your distress. And when you're in that spiral, you are stuck forever. He's quoted as going on to powerfully declare, quote, You know how addiction works. It starts like this. There's some kind of disappointment or distress in your life. As a result, you choose to deal with that distress with an agent. It might be sex. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. The agent promises transcendence. The agent promises freedom, a sense of being in control, a sense of being above all this, a sense of being liberated, a sense of escape. And so you do it. But when you do it, when you take the addicting agent as a way of dealing with life, the trap is set. So overall, with addiction in general and internet addiction in particular, we can be caught in a vicious cycle of looking to the internet to take away pain or add pleasure, such as reduce loneliness or increase a pseudo sense of community. However, it seldom delivers in the long run, and instead, it may lead to increased isolation and other psychological and spiritual struggles, given we're relying on mediated experiences and staring at mere pixels on a computer screen, not interacting with real life. It's as if we're content merely looking at pictures of people eating food, not actually eating it, and savoring it as we dine with others. Because of this, my hope is that this episode can bring us hope that there is a different reality we can connect to, wherein we pursue true community in a deeper, more intimate, more real relationship with the creator and sustainer of all. Not staring at pictures of food rather than eating the real thing. Not staring at pictures of cars rather than getting in a car and driving. Rather than you know staring at pictures of people playing sports rather than playing the sport ourselves. So can we put down the mediated experience and instead have a direct experience ourselves? So to turn now to a quick personal story, I'd probably say I'm someone who's very regularly on my phone or laptop. Given my job as an administrator in higher education and professor, I'm constantly responding to emails, problem solving, troubleshooting, and planning ahead. And because of this, I've noticed that I often have no clear-cut boundaries between my professional and personal life, given my smartphone is always calling my name. And yet, earlier in life, I can remember the actual physical act of clocking in and out of various jobs, first with a paper time card, then with an electronic time card. In this ritual earlier in life, in my teens and early 20s, it was great to be able to officially clock out, then shift my focus to life outside work. So there was a clear dividing line between professional me and personal me, with the latter enjoying the freedom of being off the clock, well before the days of smartphones and salaried jobs. After work hours, I could devote my attention to other things in life without feeling tethered to emails or other nagging tasks 24 hours a day. I also didn't have access to work activities, given they were mostly sitting in a pile of papers at my office, at my cubicle, or wherever I worked. 
Fast forward to the present day, and times have certainly changed. Since there's no real dividing line for many of us, other than the one I choose to make between work and non-work activities and identities. My emails link to my phone, as are all of my work files because of the double-edged sword of the cloud that allows us to access an unlimited number of electronic files from any location. On top of all this, probably like you, I have access to an unlimited stream of news in real time, which lets me experience all of the world's tragedies in the present moment as if they were happening on my front porch or front lawn. So with all of this in mind, I have a real hard time setting down my smartphone and walking away especially because I'm a perfectionist who wants to do a good job and not be somehow accused of not responding to others' needs or letting people down. However, with this struggle, I find that I can't be the husband, father, friend, neighbor, church member, and ultimately Christ follower I'd like to be because I'm always glued to my phone or tablet. Constantly, I'm staring down at my phone when I should be making eye contact with my wife and kids, entering and staying in their world, and taking a look around to see the world like they see it. It's an honor to be able to do so, and many times I miss out on this privilege. In my relationship with God, also, I find that I'm distracted, sort of like being one of Jesus' disciples, 12 disciples in the first century, being called by name by Jesus to follow him, but telling him I'll catch up to him as soon as I respond to another email or post something on Instagram. It's a good thing the 12 disciples didn't have smartphones. They would have probably missed most of what Jesus had to offer in the first century. Of course, my main point here is that my smartphone and the internet that brings it to life is really just a distraction from being fully present to the people God has placed in my life to love and share life with. So for me, it's near impossible to have my phone with me and not check it. Because of this reality, I'm increasingly engaged in technology fast now, going off the grid for periods of time. Reminiscent of going camping in the wilderness with no internet to connect to, and instead trying to experience reality directly. Because I experienced childhood pre-internet in the 1980s, I had the privilege of doing so. I can remember a time when going outside, away from the house phone, away from my parents, meant that I was truly living in the present moment, without a phone to connect me to someone or something else. And I increasingly long to return to the simplicity and innocence of those days. And to do so, I'm convinced more than ever that we need to unplug for periods of time. To hear God's voice, to sit in silence with him, with our thoughts, to enjoy what's in front of us, the relationships, the people, the tasks, the things that are in our immediate environment, not being pulled to some other location, some other tragedy, some other catastrophe unfolding in real time with the news cycle. So overall, an important question for us to consider as we get started is this. What might I be doing differently in this very moment if the internet and the smartphones that deliver the internet never existed?
How would I be living life if there, if there was no such thing as the internet to distract me from what's in front of me, to touch, taste, smell, see, and hear? Can I, for at least short periods of time, live life like the internet never existed? Loving God and others with all of my undivided attention, fellowshipping with God, fellowshipping with others, both mind and heart working together in unison. So let's now turn to the secular clinical psychology literature for a better perspective on problematic internet use or internet addiction and then try to unpack things from a biblical perspective. So since the early 90s, Western society has utilized the internet to meet a broad range of needs, information seeking, socializing, entertainment, and increasingly so. As the use of the internet has grown, Researchers have start to, started to identify an extreme form of internet use, commonly referred to as either problematic internet use or internet addiction. In the U.S., the prevalence of internet addiction has maybe ranged from about 2% to 8% or even higher. One recent review of a wide variety of studies published from the mid-90s to 2018 found that the prevalence of internet addiction across 31 nations is about 7%. So this, of course, does not include people who have some problems but don't meet the full criteria for internet addiction. So as people spend time online, they do so for a wide variety of reasons. So a wide variety of needs can seemingly be met. Music, movies, television, gaming, shopping, social media, pornography. But when does internet use become an addiction? We're increasingly recognizing that internet addiction can mirror other types of addictions, such as with drugs, alcohol, food. There's a dopamine involved. And so from the perspective of the brain it can look a lot like other kinds of addictions and then also psychologically. So we might engage in excessive use with an unawareness of time and basic needs. We might engage in or or struggle with withdrawal symptoms. So anger, depression, or anxiety if unable to use the internet. So if we forget our smartphone at home, for example, when we go out on the road. Tolerance. An increasingly, uh, increasingly seeking time online, buying higher quality uh, you know, computer software or equipment, getting the newest smartphone, and then negative consequences. We might end up hiding our internet activity, arguing, struggling to complete work or school tasks, and isolating ourselves socially instead of engaging with other people. According to the Problematic Internet Use Questionnaire, which is used to research internet addiction, People may become addicted to the internet when they end up obsessing with being online, neglecting other responsibilities in daily life, and having a hard time controlling their internet use. One of the biggest problems with interacting online and internet use, especially when we socialize, is that we may end up acting differently. So there can be an online disinhibition effect. We communicate and behave differently online than we might in the real world. So this creates two separate lives and two separate selves. 
We might have the, the idea that you don't know me and can't see me. We might not feel like we have consequences online. We can just close the application or we maybe live out some sort of fantasy world that we would not in the real world. We don't have the same kinds of hierarchies. We maybe see ourselves as equals. There's this sense of de-individualization. We believe we're anonymous and engaging in, as a result, behaviors that we would not otherwise engage in. So developing unhealthy patterns of relating to other people that we would never do so in the real world. There are a few models to make sense of this. One is called the ACE model, A-C-E. With the internet, there's accessibility, convenience, and escape. Or the AAA model, there's accessibility, anonymity, and affordability. Easy access with our smartphones, we're anonymous oftentimes online, and access to all kinds of information is affordable. In terms of the link between internet addiction and mental disorders, a number of researchers actually argued for the inclusion of internet addiction in the DSM-5, which was published in 2013. In either case, whether or not it's going to be included, there are studies that have suggested that anxiety, depression, and loneliness are psychological correlates of excessive internet use. Among younger generations, adolescents, and young adults, internet addiction is correlated with depression, anxiety, stress, dissatisfaction with family life. Interestingly, in my own research, I found that among Christian college students, in investigating the relationship with, between uh, a, a deeper connection with God called God attachment and problematic internet use, results reveal that anxious God attachment, so being anxious about God's abandonment or rejection, being preoccupied with God in an unhealthy way, was positively linked to problematic internet use. Things like obsessing about the internet, neglecting tasks and relationships due to the internet, and struggling to control internet use, as well as psychological distress, so depression, anxiety, stress, and worry. So these results may suggest that, at least theoretically speaking, Christians who struggle with feeling safely connected to God and others also struggle with depression, anxiety, stress, and worry, and they may turn to the internet as a way to avoid these struggles with God. So in terms of theory about what's going on here, internet addiction, we might look at it as an addiction in and of itself, or something that occurs alongside other disorders, or both. So it might co-occur with depression and anxiety, be what we might call comorbid with these things, to use the fancy language. And people might end up excessively using the internet, either to avoid unpleasant inner experiences, such as difficult thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, and images. So it's actually a problematic way that we try to cope with the challenges of life and the inner events that come from those challenges, the unpleasant inner events. Or it what maybe is a way to increase dopamine and feel good, not just a strategy to avoid feeling bad as is the case with maybe pornography, for example. So in terms of interventions, 
traditional cognitive behavioral therapy, which really focuses on the impact that the way we think has on how we feel and what we do, we might really gain some insight into behavioral strategies for managing internet addiction. So for example, focusing on time management, monitoring the amount of time we spend online, engaging in healthier coping skills instead of turning to the internet to avoid and manage the stressors of life, replacing internet use with hobbies, going outside, doing other things, physical activity, maybe even practicing the opposite behavior. So when I want to avoid and just go online and get lost in my smartphone, I instead go to the party, even with the social anxiety. So I do the opposite of what my initial motivation is to do. We might even have reminder cards to say focused on maybe a certain period of time that I'll be online. And then outside of that period of time, I'm doing other things. As one other intervention, mindfulness meditation has emerged as a treatment approach for internet addiction. So it's all over over uh, journal articles and and textbooks, the idea of mindfulness for addiction in general, but internet addiction in particular. And of course, mindfulness involves acceptance and awareness of unfolding experiences, both inner and outer events, with the present moment being focused on with non-judgment. And so this may hold promise given we can recognize the urge to turn to the internet to avoid or numb unpleasant inner experiences, but to not then take the next step to impulsively act on the urge. So we might call this, as some psychologists have called this, urge surfing. We just notice the urge and let it run its natural course rather than impulsively acting on it. Rather than impulsively reaching for the smartphone, we notice the urge to reach for the smartphone and then we recognize it with non-judgment, allow it to run its natural course without acting on it. So over time, we can learn that our desire to act on the urge is just that. We don't need to compromise our values for an urge that comes and goes and waxes and wanes. So put another way, urges are impermanent and do not need to determine what we do with our life. Instead, we can notice the urge, then gently pivot to what matters most in life, living out our values or principles for living. Especially if, as Christians, we prioritize loving God and others and fellowshipping within the body of Christ. Interestingly, research-wise, a recent pilot study among Chinese college students found that a mindfulness-based group intervention over two months led to a decrease in time spent on smartphones and symptoms of smartphone addiction were decreased as well. Among a group of students who had smartphone addiction. So to summarize here, internet addiction is really frequently written on and researched in secular psychology with symptoms such as tolerance and withdrawal and impaired daily functioning. Whether or not we rise to that level, we may turn to the internet to increase dopamine and get a positive feeling or try to reduce or avoid negative feelings such as depression, anxiety, or stress. But when doing so, the internet is a double-edged sword, given it can impair our ability to live out our values. 
to live out the principles for living that guide us and help us to live a life of meaning and purpose. For Christians, of course, this is to commune with God and others. So internet addiction can especially rob us of intimacy and closeness with others, given we're staring at a computer screen, not directly engaging with the people in our immediate environment. Treatment-wise, behavioral principles can be helpful, such as time management techniques and reducing accessibility to the internet, engaging in technology fasts, for example, where we don't go online for periods of time, reminiscent of a fasting with food. And mindfulness can be helpful, given its emphasis on non-judgmental, present-focused awareness, so that we don't impulsively reach for the smartphone, but instead notice the urge and allow it to run its natural course, and then pivot towards what we want to actually do with life intentionally and relationally. For Christians, of course, a huge consideration is the impact that internet addiction can have on our ability to love God and others with the short time we have on this planet. So the internet can be especially a problem when, they, when it becomes the source of fellowship that replaces our intimacy with and dependence on God for sustenance and coping in a fallen, broken world. So with the time we have left here, let's now turn to Christianity before we engage in a short practice to pivot from internet use or problematic internet use to fellowship with God and others. So although the New Testament of the Bible does not mention internet addiction per se, it does frequently mention the importance of optimal relational functioning, of which which internet addiction, especially the false sense of community that occurs on social media or the false sense of intimacy and sexual connection that occurs with pornography, can impair. In fact, the Greek word koinonia, Uh, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A is used for fellowship, translated as fellowship with God and others 18 times in the New Testament, meaning an association or partnership in classical Greek. According to the New Testament scholar William Barclay, koinonia is, quote, a spirit of generous sharing as contrasted with the spirit of selfish getting, end quote. Continuing with Barclay's review of the word in New Testament words, it can mean a sharing of friendship, practical sharing with those less fortunate, partnership in the work of Christ, fellowship in the faith, fellowship in the spirit, fellowship with Christ, and fellowship with God. Ultimately, it's a close and intimate relationship into which people enter. So the question becomes, Does the internet provide this opportunity for Christ followers in the 21st century, allowing us to engage in, enter into, maintain close and intimate relationships with other people? From my perspective, this fellowship among believers within the body of Christ and between believers and God can be significantly impaired when we struggle with internet addiction especially given loving God and others are the two greatest commandments that Jesus revealed in the Gospels. Ultimately, if fellowship is central and foundational to authentic, optimal Christian living, 
What is the impact that internet addiction has on koinonia? Or fellowship, especially when we turn to the internet to meet our relational needs. Especially when we're preoccupied with our smartphones at the expense of loving God and others. And especially when we believe that we are in community online when we need to be walking with fellow believers in the real world. Not staring at pixels on a screen from a device. Now, of course, there are many, many examples of ways that Christian communities can thrive as online environments are supplemental to in-person fellowshipping with believers. So I want to be clear here that I think online environments can absolutely supplement in-person fellowship. However, what happens for us as believers when our only or primary way that we engage with other people is online. Returning to the insights from the psychologist Sherry Turkle, social media gives us a false sense of connection, not true intimacy. So are we at times essentially turning to junk food, not food that's healthy for us and will sustain us? For Christians, what would it be like to set down our smartphones and tablets, make eye contact with those around us, and deepen our closeness and intimacy with the people we love, first with God, then with others? To actually show them we care by prioritizing time with them. Again, my own research has revealed that those who are anxiously preoccupied with God's rejection, abandonment, and so forth also report a higher level of internet addiction. Might we at times turn to the internet as a source of avoidance when in fact we need to, as the antidote to internet addiction, begin to fellowship with God and others? So might the solution to internet addiction be an investment in deepening our fellowship and communion with God, which can help us to turn to Him when life is difficult, not the internet as a distraction and avoidance method that doesn't work and only leads to a false sense of community and approval from others, with with likes that are superficial and inauthentic, oftentimes. So in terms of classic Christian spiritual writings and practices, the Puritans wrote extensively on this fellowship or communion with God, given that they prioritized a deeper, more intimate, more loving union with the Trinitarian God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For instance, John Owen, in his writing on the topic, quoted 2 Corinthians 13.14 in his book on on communion with God, stating, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the question becomes, how might overly relying on the internet get in the way of fellowshipping with God and in turn fellowshipping with others? So to summarize the episode thus far, we absolutely live in an internet age, with many, if not most, people relying heavily on their devices to stay seemingly connected to the world. We can't imagine a life without them. We can't imagine a disconnected life, disconnected from the internet. Yet, internet addiction seems to be a real thing, a double-edged sword the internet is, given that on one hand it keeps us connected, on the other hand it can undermine 
real-world, authentic connections. So a portion of the population ends up struggling to the point that functioning is impaired. For many others, the internet, including smartphones, tablets, and social media, can be a barrier to authentic relationships in the real world, choosing a pixelated life rather than the one that is actually unfolding in reality. Among Christians, we're called to love God and others in fellowship with God and others on this side of heaven. Since this is the case, we can move from preoccupations with online activity to real, authentic, loving relationships with people who are actually in our lives. I think that to do so, we can first cultivate a deeper relationship with God, a deeper fellowship with God by spending time in solitude and silence with Him as we read His Word and meditate on His Word, the Bible. From there, we can commit to regularly pivoting from the junk food of social media and a pixelated life to the healthy, nourishing food of authentic Christian fellowship with the actual people in the real world that God has placed in our lives. Given God's providential care covers all of creation, including the very people he has put in our lives to surround us. To do so, I think we need to actually spend time with God, which can help to truly experience real fellowship with him than with others. And I think Christian meditation can serve as a vehicle through which we can do so. Allowing the head and heart and our behaviors to converge to form an authentic Christian life, setting down our smartphones to actually experience God, spend time with God, and in turn do so with others. So with this in mind, let's finish out the episode by turning to a short practice to begin to pivot from problematic internet use to a a real, authentic, present moment fellowship with God, which then can be extended to others. So I'd like us to spend a few minutes here with Puritan Meditation inspired by the Puritan John Owen's book on communion with God. We'll be meditating on 2 Corinthians 13, 14 to internalize this verse and inspire Christ-like behavioral action to set down our smartphones and tablets and fellowship with God and others in the real world. So for the next few minutes, we'll be focusing on the Bible verse, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me. Modifying the very end so we can focus the verse on ourselves. So to begin, we're saying a short prayer to God, asking him for guidance during the next few minutes. Now we're simply noticing any urges we have to pick up our smartphone or tablet or that we're missing out or that we have to check our email or post to social media. We're just noticing these urges right here and right now without doing anything with them. As the next step, we're shifting our focus from an earthly-minded perspective 
wherein we're glued to our smartphone, just focusing on the internet to a heavenly-minded perspective, a kingdom perspective. As we let go of the need to turn to the internet to avoid difficult feelings or increase positive feelings, but instead we're asking, what's a more spiritual perspective wherein God's will for us, fellowshipping with him and others, loving him and loving others, is prioritized? So we're gently shifting our focus from a earthly to heavenly-minded perspective. Now we're slowly, gently, and interiorly repeating the verse. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me. As we focus on God in this very moment, not our preoccupations with the internet. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me again and again. Slowly, gently, and interiorly. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me. And when our mind inevitably wanders to something other than the verse, especially thoughts, feelings, sensations, images, or memories related to internet use, we are extending grace to ourselves by non-judgmentally refocusing our attention on the Bible verse. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me. Now, begin to move from your head to your heart, focusing on how your heart feels as you consider God's grace, love, and fellowship right here and right now, relying on Him, not the internet, to help you in your time of need, no matter what inner experience arises. Really try to sink into this emotional reality allowing yourself to deeply feel God's loving presence and trusting that he is with you right now in the midst of whatever emerges in the inner or outer world. We're not missing out on anything online. We don't need to be checking emails or posting given we are fellowshipping with the God of love and grace right here, right now, as we meditate on God's verse given to us through his special revelation. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me again and again. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me. And as we conclude the meditation, we're making a commitment to act on this deeper awareness of God's fellowship in a Christ-like manner. Rather than overly relying on the internet to avoid difficult inner experiences, or increase positive ones. And as we conclude, say a short prayer to God, thanking Him for the ability to fellowship with Him right here and right now. So to conclude this episode, internet addiction is especially problematic for Christians because it can rob us of the ability to love God and others and fellowship in close Christian communities. Unfortunately, we can end up turning to junk food, not nourishing food for psychological and spiritual health. We can end up staring at pixels instead of being in face-to-face real relationships with real people as we fellowship with them. Yet we can learn to fellowship and commune with God through Christian meditation which can help us to pivot from problematic internet use to him, then do so in our relationships with others within the body of Christ, trading in junk food for real food. Along the way, technology fasts may be necessary wherein we unplug or power down or put our phone on airplane mode and commit to an extended period of time without the internet to distract us to numb us, to get us through, but instead relying on God and others to fellowship with in this fallen, broken world. I hope this was helpful and that you'll continue to join me for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.